Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Yeah, my name is Dominic, and I have the privilege of pastoring a great uh, fellowship in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and it's uh, really good to see you guys here in Colorado. Uh, I was able to bring out my oldest two uh, children with me uh, for our trip, and uh, uh, Silas and Josephine, and right after service, we're going to head up to Rocky Mountain National Park and have some time up there. We've never been up there before, and so thank you for inviting us into your home fellowship, and uh, let's look and see what the Lord has for us today in his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your people. Thank you for the ability to gather together in this large group. Thank you most of all, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us and ministering to us over and over and over again through your word, drawing us ever deeper in our relationship with you, transforming us from the inside out. And we pray that you would do it again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered why we do what we do? here at Calvary Chapel, how we do what we do here at Calvary Chapel. And what I mean is specifically the public proclamation of the word, the way that we do it, the the teaching, the delivering, the preaching of the word of God to the people of God. We tend to do it book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Why? Well, it's because we believe that the spirit of God works through the Word of God in the hearts of the people of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God, we have the Word of God, and we have the people of God. And this is what we believe. This is what we as pastor teachers have given our lives to. This is what we are wholeheartedly and steadfastly committed to, the ministry of the Word, the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the hearts of the people of God. And I would venture a guess that many of you have experienced this personally. I would venture a guess that many of you have benefited from this personally. I would even venture a guess that many of your lives have been radically altered because you have simply sat under the regular, simple teaching of the Word of God. And there's nothing flashy about it. It's just the Word of God read clearly. The Word of God read distinctly. And then explained and taught and applied simply. We just believe the Spirit of God works through the Word of God in the hearts of the people of God. And we have seen this over and over and over again in our lives. And we have also seen this over and over and over again in the Scripture. And one of the clearest examples of this is found in the book of Nehemiah. So if you'll turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 8 together. Now, we've probably all seen the Spirit of God work through the Word of God in the hearts of the people of God personally, or rather individually, you know, one-on-one with another person, you know, outside of a large group assembly. And I'll never tire of that. It's an incredible experience, and it's a wonderful experience. When, you know, the Lord gives you a word or a specific scripture and then there's someone that you know you're supposed to give that specific scripture to and then you watch how the Lord works through his word in their heart. I had an experience uh, a few weeks ago 
Our fellowship was invited to pioneer a program at our local YMCA. The, the YMCA built this brand new building. They doubled their membership in one year. They have 17,200 members in a town of 65,000. And they asked us as Calvary Chapel to pioneer this program for chaplaincy within the Y. Their mission is to put Christian principles into practice through programs that build a healthy spirit mind and body for all. And so as chaplains, we're here to help you be healthy spiritually. And to be healthy spiritually begins with a relationship with God. Can I tell you how to have a relationship with It's been a remarkable ministry. It's been wonderful. And so the pastors on staff and I and some lay leaders, we rotate through as chaplains. We have chaplain polos with the Y logo. And we just go and intentionally serve people and love people and care for people in Jesus' name and hope to earn the question, why? Why are you doing this? And when they ask why, then we're able to answer why and tell them about Jesus. And it's just wonderful how often this happens. But you got to kind of work through the first few conversations. You know, that first conversation is high. Maybe next week you see him and you say, what's your name? Maybe the next week you see him and say, how was your week? And maybe the fourth, the fifth, maybe the sixth conversation, you start talking about life. And maybe they'll open up to you. I had this happen with a particular gal that I, I just, I really enjoy. Her name's Diane with two N's. She made sure every time, Dan, with two N's. <laughs> She's kind of a spitfire. She was the head charge nurse in the emergency room at Hennepin County Medical Center for over 27 years. Uh, overnights, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. So she's this tough gal, straightforward. She's a straight shooter. She's great. I love her. And we give each other a hard time. Uh, one time she was walking into the building and I saw her and I said, hey, Diane, we've been notified about you. We can't let you into the facility today. And she goes, get out of my way, cutie. You know, <laughs> She goes and has her regular seat and she volunteers at the Y to watch the little kiddos as they come down the water slide and on her volunteer name badge it says, Diane, slide queen. <laughs> and so we had a few of these interactions and just simple conversations and then one day she waves me over and she says, Dom, I've been to 11 funerals since January. Three of them were for overdoses on fentanyl one of them was for my son. What's going on in this world, Dom? And we were able to have this simple conversation about the one who defeated death, who loves her so very much. It was a brief conversation, but it laid the foundation for further conversations. And it wasn't a few days later, she waves me over again. And she slides this piece of paper across the table. And all it says on the piece of paper is Isaiah 43.1, Pastor Dom. And I said, Diane, what is this? And she goes, I don't know. There was a guy that was just walking by and he said, you look sad, you should look up Isaiah 43.1. I said, well, who was he? Was he a chaplain? She goes, no, I have never seen him before. I said, well, what does it say? She goes, I don't know, I don't have a Bible. So I said, I'll be right back. Ran and got a Bible, came back to her and this is what I read to her. This is Isaiah 43.1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you and he who formed you, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Yeah, right? So I lift my eyes up from the Bible and I catch Diane's eyes and I could see in her face the Holy Spirit of God working through the word of God in this woman whom God loves so very much. Man, I will never tire of that. That is just fantastic. One-on-one -on -one watching the word and the Holy Spirit work through the word. But there is something very special 
about the Holy Spirit working through the Word in the large group gathering. You know, when the people of God gather together and they say, bring the book. And then a preacher comes out and publicly proclaims the Word of God. And then you see the Holy Spirit work through the Word. And that's what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a large group gathering together here to hear the Word of God. People gathering together, the people of God saying to the preacher, bring the book. Let's look at it together, verse by verse. Let's start with verse 1, just verse 1. Now, all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So let's pause there and consider a little bit of the backstory here. And then we'll look at why the people told Ezra to bring the book. Israel as a nation had recently received a 70-year spanking. 70 years in the capital city of idolatry, in the city of Babylon. And then finally, after the 70 years were over, there was a remnant that returned. A remnant that returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to restore worship. And the first remnant that returned was led by a man named Zerubbabel. The second remnant that returned was led by a man named Ezra. And they endeavored to rebuild. Rebuild the temple, restore worship in Jerusalem. But as you may have experienced, whenever the people of God say, let us build or let us rebuild, let us arise and do the work of the Lord, the enemies of the people of God say, let us arise and attack. Let us arise and destroy. And this is exactly what happened. So it wasn't easy for either of the remnants that returned to rebuild or to restore. In fact, for the first phase, it got so difficult that at one point they just stopped. They just sat down. And they no longer did what the Lord had called them to do. And they sat down, literally and figuratively, for about 15 years until the prophets Haggai and Zechariah showed up. Haggai and Zechariah with the word of God for the people of God to see the spirit of God stir them up to do the work of God. You know, in our fellowship, we have uh, kind of an inside name for these two prophets. We call them prophets with power tools. And the reason why we say that is because there's an inside joke in our fellowship about how awful I am with power tools. I just, listen, I got one string on my guitar. All I know how to do is teach the Bible and love people. I can't do just about anything else. Change the oil on my car or hammer a nail into a board. I just don't know how to do it. And so, you know, there was one particular time where I was just trying to build a bookshelf for my office and and I had this little palm sander that I borrowed from somebody. All I had to do is, you know, sand the rough edges on all these boards. And I was like, well, this isn't working. This is going to take forever. And somebody had borrowed to me a, a router. And I looked over at the router. And you know where I'm going, right? So I, I was like, man, that thing spins so much faster than this palm sander. If I could just take that sanding disc off and somehow attach it to the router, I could get this thing done so much faster. So I grabbed that thing, I got it in there, and sure enough, it's spinning a whole lot faster than the palm sander. But as I lowered it to the board, as soon as that sanding just touched the wood, it exploded. The, little, the paper from the sanding disc shot into my garage door. 
It flew that fast. One shot into my leg, another shot across my garage. And so people, when they see me in our fellowship, if I got any power tools in my hand, they come and run and take them out of my hand. So these pastors, these prophets, they didn't necessarily help them build physically. They came to build them up spiritually. But it's what they needed to have happen in order to fulfill the physical task that God had given them. So here it is, 15 years, they sat down and said, no, I'm not going to do what God's called me to do because it's just too hard. And then the Lord sends a word. And I love the word that the Lord sent because you would expect this really big rebuke, but no, this is what the Lord said. I'll just read it to you. It's in the book of Haggai. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the Lord's people and said, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And once again, we see in the scriptures the spirit of God working through the word of God in the hearts of the people of God. And the people of God were so stirred that they stood up once again and they continued to do what God had called them to do and they carried it on to completion. They rebuilt the temple. So the outward central structure was completed. But their inward lives with the Lord had a long way to go. So God sent another man, a man named Ezra. And Ezra was a priest, and Ezra was a scribe, and Ezra was a tender-hearted man, a man who wept repeatedly over the sin and brokenness of God's people. And God used this soft-spoken man. God used this somewhat introverted man mightily to rebuild them spiritually. Then a few years later, God sent another man. This man's name was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was about as far on the other end of the spectrum personality-wise than Ezra was. Nehemiah was a very straightforward, very direct, in-your-face civil servant. I mean, one of my favorite passages about Nehemiah is at the end of Nehemiah in chapter 13 where he's trying to get these guys to stop selling stuff on the Sabbath. And he looks at him and he goes, listen, if you don't stop selling stuff on the Sabbath, I'm going to lay hands on you. And he wasn't talking about praying for him. He was just saying, listen, you've got to get it together, man. If you don't, I mean, we're going to have words. And I love that God uses all sorts of personalities from Nehemiah to Ezra and everything in between. And he used these men mightily to rebuild what needed to be rebuilt. And under Nehemiah's leadership, the outer wall was completed. Under intense opposition from without and from within, they worked with sweat with blood, with tears, with a trowel in one hand and a sword in another. And in 52 days, they miraculously finished that wall. So now, everything was rebuilt physically. And now, it was time to do what was even more important, to rebuild the nation spiritually, to reestablish and restore a right relationship with their God. And so the people said, to Ezra, bring the book. The people gathered together, about 40,000 of them in front of the water gate. They built a wooden platform. They found Ezra and they said, Ezra, bring the book. Bring the book, Ezra. We need to get right with God. We need to hear from God. We need to know 
how to worship God. We need to know God. Bring the book, Ezra. We need the Spirit of God to work through the Word of God in the hearts of these, the people of God. So now back to verse 1. Verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, and then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So paint that picture. I mean, think of all the people that are standing there as one man in front of the water gate saying to Ezra, bring the book. I mean, in within this large group gathering were all sorts of people. There were many people who had grown up in Babylon who had risked everything to return with the remnants to rebuild. They had battled through insane opposition from without and from within. And through blood, sweat, and many tears, they were now here. They were finally here. The temple's rebuilt, the wall is rebuilt, and they're ready to rebuild the nation spiritually. And standing next to them are their children. They're children that grew up in the midst of the battle, the battle to restore not only the city physically, but also the nation spiritually. And now they were all here to hear how to have a right relationship with God. So bring the book, Ezra. And Ezra brought the book. And he read the book in front of them all from morning until midday, literally from first light until noon. And the men, the women, and all those who could understand were standing and drinking in the word of the Lord at the water gate. Verse 4. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And beside him, at his right hand, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah. And at his left hand, Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And it's at times like this, after much study and prayer, that I just wish more people were named Bob. <laughs> or Tim. You know, I mean, these are tough names. I practiced. I was like, oh man, I'm going to mess them up. But you know what? More than just difficult names to pronounce, these are really cool names. You know, these are untranslated Hebrew phrases. And this is what these 
words mean, these names mean. Listen, Mattathiah means gift of God. Ananiah means God has answered. Urijah means God is my light or my flame or my fire. Pedaiah means God is my ransom. Malkijah means God is my king. Zechariah means God remembers. And Meshulam means friend. Great names, great men standing on either side of Ezra supporting him in the work, sharing with him in the work. And verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra fell down. Did you know that, that that's what this phrase translated, bless the Lord, means? It means to fall down in worship. I mean, Ezra was that tender-hearted scribe, remember, who had wept countless times over the sin and brokenness of God's people. And he's never seen anything like this. He's never seen all of the people stand in awe and reverence and respect for God and for his word. And he overwhelmed him. I mean, in his lifetime and in his ministry, he had seen rebellion and rejection. He had seen sin and sorrow. And so imagine how his heart would explode when he sees 40,000 people, all of the people stand in awe and respect and reverence for God. And this elderly man, when he began to unroll the scroll, they all stand and he's overwhelmed. He just falls to his knees and says, God, you're just so good to give me this experience, to see this sight, to see your people. It was just too much. Fell to his knees and said, bless you, Lord. Well, Ezra eventually regained his composure and began to read from the book, the book of the law, which was the Torah, the first five books of Moses. And it says that he read from morning until midday, literally from first light until noon. Paint that picture. Not the length of time, but paint the picture of first light. I mean, really, 52 days of blood, sweat, and tears building that wall with incredible opposition from without and from within. A trowel in one hand, a sword in the other, and you're scared every single day. You are exhausted physically, mentally, and spiritually. And yet everyone gathers together and says, it's time to rebuild the nation spiritually. And they, the people, build a platform of wood on which Ezra stood. And he's holding that scroll about to unroll the word of God. And they all, as soon as that sun cracks the mountains and there's enough light to read, Ezra moves his hands and everyone stands and Ezra falls. And it's a glorious sight where the spirit of God is about to work through the word of God in the hearts of the people of God. And it's awesome. They stand in reverence and the beauty of holiness, ready to receive all that God had for them in his word. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then... All the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And we can see this is overwhelming for everyone, isn't it? I mean, it's just an incredible sight, an incredible experience. And it says in verse 7, also Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, 
Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodijah, Maasiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Palaiah, and the Levites did not have as cool of names as the other guys. That's not what it says, but it's actually true. I looked them up. They don't really mean cool things. That's just kind of weird names. But what they did was really cool. What they did is right in the rest of the verse where it says, this is what they did. They helped the people to understand the law. They helped the people to understand the word. And the people stood in their place. So, verse 8, they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And it's in this last verse that we just read where we see what we see here each and every week. Simply reading the Word of God clearly, distinctly, and then giving the sense. You know, what's going on? before and after, what's happening here historically, contextually, and then helping, tenderly leading, not only into understanding, but also into application. Pastoral ministry, which includes the teaching of God's word, pastor, teacher. It's, it's the ministry of the word, simply teaching the Bible, simply. And it's just as important today for the people of God as it was back in Nehemiah's day for the people of God. And the reason why is because my ideas are not going to change your life. My personality is not going to change your life. My ability is not going to change your life. My programs are not going to change your life. But the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, will transform you from the inside out. And I venture to guess for many of you, as you have simply sat under the consistent teaching of the Word of God in this fashion, that you look back and you will see a transformation. This kind of simple ministry, reading the Scripture clearly, explaining it simply, and tenderly helping others to understand and apply can be really radical, really transformative for an individual for a family, for a fellowship, even for an entire nation, like what we see here. Verse 8 once again. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I wonder exactly what was happening here, and I hope we find out in heaven. But it said that he was reading for six hours. So I was looking it up. You know, if you read straight through Genesis, it would take you three and a half hours, just at, a, at an average pace. If you read straight through Exodus, it would take you about three hours. 
So remember, they weren't just reading. They were reading and explaining and reading and explaining and reading and explaining. So I wonder where they were when they stopped at midday. I wonder where they were when the people were weeping. I wonder if it wasn't in Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments were given. And you see these people who are utterly exhausted laying their lives before the law of the Lord and seeing so clearly how they have fallen short of God's glorious standard and having the appropriate response, which is weeping. And there's a time for that, to be convicted over your own sin and how far you have fallen from God's glorious standard. But then there's a time to turn from your sin in every way and turn towards the Lord in every way and focus on Him and His goodness and His faithfulness and His sufficiency and how wonderful He is and how beautiful He is. And and then the joy of the Lord is your strength. To realize that your Savior is so much stronger than your sin. So forsake your sin in every way and turn towards your Savior in every way and behold the glory of God in the face of Christ and fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the way you're going to be able to run your race, the race that's marked out for you. This is how you find strength in the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the joy that the Lord has for you, which is fixed and firm and secure and what pulls you out of that pit of feeling so worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness this day is holy to the Lord your God do not mourn nor weep for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law verse 10 then he said to them go your way eat the fat drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to rejoice greatly because... They understood the words that were declared to them. The ministry of the word. It's a wonderful ministry. You know, to read the scriptures simply, to explain them clearly, and then to lead the people of God gently, not only into understanding, but also into application. You know, there's an application for us today as we see this beautiful exchange between those who proclaim God's word and those who gather to hear God's word, between God's pastors and God's people, God's preachers and God's people, there's a wonderful example here for us. You know, Ezra is an example for those of us who have the privilege of proclaiming God's word. Ezra was a man that prepared his heart, Scripture says, to follow after the Lord. Ezra 7.10 says that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statues and ordinances in Israel. He prepared his heart to be a preacher, not only to teach, but to do it himself. And this is how he would teach. He would read the word distinctly. He would read the word clearly, and he would give the sense simply 
And then he would tenderly lead them into understanding and application. There's an example here for us in the life of Ezra. And then Ezra went one step further. He raised up men, faithful men, who would be able to teach others also. And he appointed them over smaller groups to continue to help the people to understand and to continue to tenderly lead the people, not only into understanding, but also into application. A wonderful example for those of us who have the privilege of preaching God's word in whatever capacity, in whatever quantity. There's also a wonderful example for those of us who would be the people of God. The people of God were prominent in this passage, weren't they? The the people, that phrase, the people, was mentioned 13 times in these 12 verses. The people of God play a large part in the ministry of the word. And there was a great example here and some very practical application here for us as the people of God, as we enter into the ministry of the word, which is happening right now. What was the example? Here's a few points. First, they gathered together in unity. 40,000 people as one man, the scripture said. They gathered together to hear the word of the Lord, to lift up holy hands without disputing, without arguing, without unfinished business. Oh, that sister didn't say hi to me at church today. That's why I hate her and I'm going to sit over here now or whatever. It's just they gathered together in unity. They also eagerly invited the pastor to bring the book. I love that. It was the people that found Ezra and said, Ezra, we built a wooden platform. Bring the book. And I love that they built the wooden platform. First service last night, I went like this because I thought this was a wooden platform. Nope, it's concrete. Ow. I thought it was going to be this big resounding boom. But you know what I mean? You serve behind the scenes to support the ministry of the word. And there's so many of you that do that. It's wonderful. You contribute to the ministry of the word, the public proclamation of the holy word of God so that the Holy Spirit of God can work in the, pe- the hearts of the people of God, serving behind the scenes. And then when we are in that large group assembly, we are to be intentionally, like they were, attentive, respectful, eager, appropriately emotional, responsive, and worshipful, obedient, joyful, not only in understanding, but also and especially in application. It's the ministry of the word. I love it. I'll never tire of it. One-on-one or in the large group gathering. God's pastors, God's preachers publicly proclaiming and then God's people eagerly receiving, saying, bring the book. Waiting upon the Holy Spirit to work through his word in the hearts of the people. Ministry of the word. Now, in this large group gathering, there are those who have yet to yield to Jesus Christ. You know it and I know it. You know you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you're just faking it. You know it and I know it. The reason why I can say it is because that was me. I, I, in college, I met this girl and she told me, I, I want to share my life with a man who loves Jesus. And so I said, I love Jesus. <laughs> you're cute enough to lie. 
I bought a Bible, I went to the Bible study, and I ruined that Bible study every single week. I would argue with them, I would tell them the Bible's irrelevant, it's full of errors, it's, you know, it's just, you guys are fools for following it, like how dare you, you're just idiots. And at the end, the guy that led the Bible study, he would say, you're a Christian? And then I'd get super offended. I'd be like, of course I'm a Christian. How dare you question my salvation? Who are you? You know? Finally, one day, eight months after I was ruining his Bible study, he confronted me. And he just called me on the sidewalk, literally. He goes, Dom, you're a liar. I go, what? He goes, you know it and I know it. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You stop lying to people. And again, I got offended. We got in this big argument. I yelled, I screamed, I whatever. But I knew what he was saying was true. I knew I knew about the Lord, but I had never personally surrendered my life to the Lord. And you can't fake it till you make it with the Lord. You'll never make it. God's glorious standard is too high. The only way that you can make it in is to accept his invitation for salvation. And he extends to you this wounded hand. So here's what I would like to do. For those of you who do not have the Holy Spirit of God in your heart, you need to know that the Holy Spirit of God is still near you. The Holy Spirit of God is right next to you. And the Holy Spirit of God is preaching to you the gospel of God. And he will preach the gospel of God to you a certain finite amount of times. Scripture's clear about that. And then there's a point where radio God turns off and he no longer gives you the gospel. So there is a real urgency to accept his invitation for salvation. So what I'm about to do is I'm going to read two verses and I'm going to explain them in less than two minutes and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And I beg you, as an ambassador of Christ, to be reconciled with God and to accept his invitation for salvation. If you understand, apply what you understand and give your life to Jesus. So listen, the first verse. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. By the way, I got the girl. I just had to say that. I got the girl. So... And we've been serving the Lord ever since. Now then, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So let me tell you what that verse means. There was a great exchange that took place 2,000 years ago. All of my sin was transferred in within Jesus Christ who willingly paid my penalty for every sinful thought, every sinful word, every sinful deed. And he did that so that he could give me his full and complete righteousness. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. What does righteousness mean? It means acceptance. That we might be fully accepted by our heavenly father. That we might be adopted by the king of kings 
that we might have a seat at his table with full rights and privileges forevermore. And this is the invitation that he extends to you. But in order to enter in, you have to receive. You've got to come to Jesus. You have to turn away from your sin in every way and turn towards the Lord in every way and receive all that he has for you. So there's the simple application. Come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Do you get it? Is the Lord speaking to you? You got all those things you think about, those things you think that God could never forgive. Just, you don't want to talk to anybody about it. You kind of, you're, you're a comical person on the outside because you want to keep people away from all the hurt and the pain that's on the inside. And it'll work for a while, but not with the Lord. The man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And God knows that it's hardwired in every man and woman to know that eternity is real. And apart from a relationship with God, you will be apart from God for all of eternity. So accept his invitation for salvation. Come to Jesus. And I'd like to lead you in that, that very thing, to just simply say to the Lord what needs to be said to settle this. So if you're listening on the radio, if you're listening in the overflow, if you're listening to this later on, if you're here in within the large group gathering, and you know, you know of the Lord, you don't know the Lord, and you have yet to surrender to the Lord, today's your day. The time of salvation is now. So pray with me. Simply, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry. And I ask that you'd forgive me. And that you'd free me from my sin. The sin that so easily entangles me over and over again. Set me free, Jesus. Put my feet upon the narrow path. Fill me with your spirit that I might serve you. And I thank you for answering my prayer. I thank you for receiving me. I thank you for adopting me. And I thank you for sealing me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.